Good morning. Welcome to Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. We're excited that you're all here. Uh, my name is Pastor Ian. I'm the youth and family pastor here. Um, yeah, it is 9 o'clock, regardless of what the back clock says. A um, couple of quick announcements. Um, first of all, Fun Club is starting up this coming month in October. I'm super excited for that. Uh, we are using a space theme, so if you guys have any uh, name suggestions, you should definitely submit them to me or Ann Epler. Also, we are looking for um, some volunteers to drive vans, uh, make a set, snacks, lead groups, whatever it is. Um, if you're interested, downstairs in front of the church office, there are two sign-ups. Men's Breakfast is uh, coming this coming Saturday, um, October 10th, 7.30 a.m. Um, it's a great time. If you have any questions, you should talk to Bob Coach. Bob, can you just wave your hand? There's Bob. He's back there. Um, and then finally, uh, so in a couple weeks, we have a half marathon and a 5K. Um, Three Eagle is coming up. Um, our church is helping out with some of the things that are going on there. Um, they do need volunteers for stuff. If you have questions, talk to Nate Coach. Nate, can you raise your hand? There's Nate, back corner. And with that, I'm actually going to ask um, Pastor Tim to come up and pray for Sunday school. We're kicking off Sunday school. Um, if you are a child or a parent um, of a child that is in Sunday school, we would love for you after the service, 1030 to um, meet in here. We're going to have a little info meeting, and then we're also going to just talk about what's going on. So I'm going to pass it over to Tim. Uh, Father, we we thank you for the chance to gather here, your people, and for yeah, especially the the children who are gathered here, the chance to come after the service and to hear truths about you taught. And we just pray that as those truths are taught, that they would sink deeply into the hearts and minds of our children that they would be amazed by what a great great god you are what a great savior jesus is they would believe those things not just in a perfunctory head knowledge sort of way but that those truths would sink deep into their heart that they would be amazed by how much you love them how much you care for them what you did for them in jesus we pray for our teachers, that they teach those truths, that they will be able to teach those truths clearly and in an effective way. And that through Sunday school, through all that takes place here after the service this morning, that we would be drawn closer to you, that we would be conformed more and more into the image of your Son. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With that, I'm going to ask everyone to, who is able to stand with us, please, as we um, kick off our worship this morning.
Well, good morning again. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad you're here with us this morning. This is normally the time in our service when we would pass an offering plate, take our offering. We're not passing an offering plate right now. So forgiving, you can give in the baskets on the back on your way out or online. If you're visiting with us, please know like we're not asking you to give. We want this service to be a gift to you. Um, but for those of you who are regular attenders, those are the ways you can give. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can gather again as your people here this morning, that we can gather in this place so we can hear and sing praise to you. So we can talk to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and receive encouragement. That we can gather together as your people to be spurned forward and spurned on towards glorifying you. We don't want to take that for granted. We don't want to take that lightly. So we Thank you for that opportunity, that privilege to gather here. God, we just pray for for people in this church who are hurting, who are sick, who are in need, that you would bring healing, that you would bring comfort to those people, that you would give doctors wisdom where it's needed, and above all, that you would bring your peace to them and that your glory would be revealed in their lives. Would you pray for for our country, just in terms of the health of our country and the politics of our country, and even though it seems uncertain at times in a variety of different ways, we trust that you are a sovereign God who's in control, who has a plan that is bigger than any of us can grasp or comprehend or understand. So God, help us to trust you. We just pray that you would reveal again your glory through all that takes place. As we prepare again to sing more songs to you, we pray that our hearts would be fixed on you, that whatever threatening to distract our minds would be taken away, that we would fix our hearts and our minds on the word we're about to sing, and that you would be glorified through the praises we sing now. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was listening to the radio um, last week in my car, um, and I heard a song by Big Daddy Weave, um, and it's called I Know. Um, And those lyrics just really, really resonated with me. Um, The chorus goes, I know that you are good. I know that you are kind. I know that you are so much more than what I leave behind. Um, And I just think that I know. um, So many times we go by what we're feeling. I don't feel very close to God right now. I don't feel like things are going well. Um, I don't feel his presence. Um, But he, he is good. He's kind with us and that doesn't change um and the bridge of that song um just says on my darkest day 
in my deepest pain, through it all, my heart will choose to sing your praise. Um, so I just would like us all to kind of reflect on that as we continue to sing about his faithfulness. Please stand with us again.
God, we praise that we can sing those words, great is your faithfulness to me, and those are not dependent on circumstance, they're not dependent on what we're going through at any given moment, but they're always true, that you are always faithful to us, even in trial and difficulty, that we be reminded of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Before we can jump into the sermon this morning, let me give you a little roadmap of where we're going over the next few weeks. So first, as Pastor Ian said, after the service today, we'll have Sunday school, so kids will gather here first at 10.30, hear a few things, and then they'll kind of disperse to their classrooms. And then at 10.45, you're invited to gather back here with me, and we'll have a kind of cross-training cross sermon discussion time, so we'd invite you to that as well. So, today we're going through Habakkuk chapter 3, which is our fourth and final sermon in a series going through the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's all about God telling his people they're going to go into exile. And so next week, we're going to go to Jeremiah and hear some instructions for, now that you're in exile, what does it actually look like to live in that exile? And the following week, um, John Payne is going to come and preach um, part of an installation service for me, and then we'll head into a series through the book of Luke that will lead us into Christmas. So that's kind of where we're headed, where we're going over the next few weeks and months here. Uh, so we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3 this morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. And one of my favorite kind of experiences as a dad is getting to watch my kids like learn how to do no, new things. And not only learn how to do new things, but to like really grow increasingly confident in those skills. So one of the places I see that a lot is on the playground. Like, it doesn't seem like that long ago. Like, I remember living in Louisville. This is you know, four years ago. Our oldest daughter is six now. And like, we're on the playground, and like, she's at the top of a kiddie slide, like, terrified to go down the little slide. She's terrified. Like, it doesn't seem like that long ago. Or like she would ask me to push her on the swing. And I gave her this tiny little push. And then like push her any higher than a little bit and she would be terrified and be like, too high, too high, and want to get off. That wasn't that long ago. And now, she just like flings herself down slides with reckless abandon. Like, she not like, like there's no such thing as too high on the swings anymore. And like, when she's at the highest point possible, she'll throw herself off. Like, how do we go from terrified kid to jumping off the high playground structures? Like, I, how did that happen? Like, and the answer, of course, is, like, she took incremental steps forward. Like, based on confidence that she had mastered the previous steps. Like, she, like you think, like, oh, last time I swung this high and didn't fall off and get hurt, so now I can go this high and a little bit higher and a little bit higher. Or last time I jumped from this high and it didn't hurt, so now I can jump from a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And so, like, not that those thoughts consciously ran through my daughter's mind, but, like, like basically what's going on in her head. Like, remembering the past gives her confidence to face future challenges. That's the same thing we see happening in Habakkuk chapter 3. 
Habakkuk is learning that remembering the past produces a confidence for the future. In particular, he learns this. Remembering the past produces a confidence that enables patient waiting. So over the last three weeks, we've gone through this book and we've seen Habakkuk complain to God about God's lack of justice. And then God would respond and he would patiently correct Habakkuk. And then in today's passage, Habakkuk has finally accepted the fact that God is going to judge Judah and he's going to judge the wicked Babylonians to do it. And Habakkuk doesn't like that fact. He's not happy about it. He's not looking forward to the days of judgment ahead. But he does recognize that God is God. And so he must submit to and trust God's plan. In response to all that that God has shown Habakkuk, Habakkuk writes a song. that All of chapter 3 is one song in which he reflects on trusting God. And in this song, Habakkuk calls to mind many of the ways that God has worked to save his people in the past. And he's going to let those memories give him confidence that God will do great things again, even if Habakkuk doesn't like the process. So the song Habakkuk writes has three parts. There's a plea, there's a praise, there's a pledge. So he's going to first plead with God that God would show mercy. Then he's going to praise God for the way he has worked in the past. And then he's going to pledge to rejoice in the Lord, come what may. So with that in mind, let's read this passage in Habakkuk. Habakkuk writes, A prayer for Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Ray flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord, with your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers, The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon still in the heavens, stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. 
I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the field produces no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music on stringed instruments. The first thing we see in this passage is a plea. Habakkuk come to the kind of begrudging acceptance that God is going to use Babylon to judge Judah. And that means things are going to be bleak for Judah for a while. There's no way around it. But in response to that realization, Habakkuk offered one simple plea to God. And we see that plea in verse 2, where Habakkuk writes this. He writes, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And so Habakkuk acknowledges that he has heard of all that God has done in the past. And he stands in awe of everything that God has done. He knows who God is, and he remembers what God has done in the past. Therefore, in light of who God is and what he has done in the past, Habakkuk pleads with God. And he kind of states the same plea in two ways. He says, first, God, do great things again. And then second, he says, even as you execute judgment, remember mercy. So, in a minute, we'll look more closely at what, what deeds Habakkuk is really remembering here. But for right now, it's enough to know that like Habakkuk is calling to mind like times when God saved his people from bleak circumstances. And so now Habakkuk's pleading with God, do it again. Habakkuk accepted that things will be dark and bleak for a while. He's accepted that God is going to judge Judah, and that it's not going to be pleasant. But he pleads with God that he would once again Someday in the future, when things are at their bleakest, when the people of Judah are off in Babylonian captivity, Habakkuk pleads that that God would once again do great deeds and to save his people. So in other words, he's pleading with God, even as you execute your just judgment against Judah, don't forget mercy. That's Habakkuk's plea. Remember mercy. Mercy. So, like, don't use Babylon to utterly destroy us. Like, rather, God, please use them for your purpose of judgment, but also remember that you are a God of mercy. Like, remember that we are your chosen people and show mercy to us. In justice, remember mercy. Habakkuk pleads that there would be a right balance between God's mercy and his justice. 
But I don't know about for you, but for me, like it, it's so easy to want one of those things, but not the other. Right? Like, and that's what Habakkuk's first two complaints are about. In the first two chapters, he writes, first he says, where is your justice, God? Like, the people of Judah are acting wickedly, and you aren't judging them. Like, why aren't you being just? And then God responds and says, I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge you. And Habakkuk says, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, let's not go too crazy. Compared to the Babylonians, we're great. Like, we deserve mercy. They deserve justice. Like, Habakkuk wasn't being consistent in how he wanted God's justice and mercy applied. And it's so easy for me to do the same thing. Namely, like, I only want justice for my enemies and I want mercy for myself. Like, for me, like, it's like, God, I know I sin. Like, I know I think thoughts I shouldn't think. I know I don't use my time well. I know I get angry for pointless reasons. I know I'm judgmental. Like, I know I do all those things, but, you know, give me mercy. Like, pay no attention to those sins and just give me mercy. Forget judgment. But that person over there that I don't like, do you know that I, like, I heard him swear one time? Get him, God. Like, pour out your judgment. Like, it's so easy to only want mercy for ourselves and judgment for our enemies. But the message that Habakkuk has learned in his conversations with God that he now acknowledges is like, that's not how God works. God's justice and his mercy are not an either-or proposition. God's justice and mercy are a both-and deal. God is both a God of justice and a God of mercy. But those two attributes seem contradictory sometimes. God is just, and therefore he must punish sin. But God is merciful and wants to show mercy towards sinners by forgiving their sins. But if God forgives sins, how can he be a God of justice? And like, I know. Like, there's some of you who have been a Christian for a long time, been in church for a long time, and you're sitting there thinking, like, yeah, I know. Like, it's Jesus. Can we move on with this sermon, please? Right? And look, yes, the answer is Jesus. But those of us who have been a Christian for a long time, it's easy to miss just how profound of a question the relationship between God's justice and his mercy is. And how profound of an answer that Jesus offers. And in fact, it's such a profound question, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the whole Bible if focused on asking and then answering that one question, how can God's justice and mercy coexist? However many hundreds of pages your Bible has, like they're all about asking and then answering the question. And all we want to do is say, yeah, it's Jesus. Let's move on. But the point is, like, there is no moving on. If Jesus is the answer to the central question of the Bible, then he must be central to all that we think and do. Right, so yes, 
The answer to the question of how God can be both merciful and just is Jesus. But let's not skip over how it is that Jesus answers that question. As much as we want God to pour out justice on our enemies, like apart from Jesus, that God's justice is bad news for us. We all sin, we all do things we shouldn't do, therefore we deserve God's justice. And the Bible makes clear that God's just judgment for any sin is death and eternal punishment in hell. And if you're like me, you try not to dwell on the fact that, that Bible, the Bible teaches that for that long. Like it's one thing to acknowledge that Hitler or Stalin or any of history's great evil characters are spending eternity in hell. But it's harder to dwell on the fact that like, decent-seeming people spend eternity in hell if they die without knowing Jesus. And like, I don't like dwelling on that. Like, but it's what the Bible teaches. And like, here's the thing. If we don't spend time dwelling on that bad news, on that reality, then we won't grasp the full glory, the full beauty of the good news. If we don't understand how dark things are in our sin, we won't see how great things are in Jesus. We must remind ourselves that God's justice demands that our sins be judged in order to see the full goodness of God's mercy to us in Jesus. We see that God the Son, He spent eternity enjoying all the glories of heaven, and He freely gave up those glories and took on flesh and was born as a baby and lived a life among sinful humans, enduring all the trials and temptations of living among fallen, sinful people. He never sinned. Despite the fact that he never sinned, he freely gave himself to be put to death on a cross. And in that death, God poured out his judgment against sin. The judgment for sin that you and I deserve was paid for by Jesus. But if we have faith in him, God treats him as if, we, as if he had sinned all the sins we ever sin. It treats us as if we had lived the perfect life that Jesus lived. That God shows us his great mercy by sending Jesus to take the judgment for our sins. It's how God's mercy and justice work together. Habakkuk prayed in this passage that in justice, God would remember mercy. And Jesus is the way that God ultimately answers that prayer. That as he shows justice in judging sin, in his mercy he sends Jesus to be judged in the place of everyone who trusts in him. If you're here or you're watching online and you've never trusted Jesus, and your only hope of being forgiven of your sins and avoiding God's judgment for those sins, then I would urge you to do that. To acknowledge your sin, to confess your own inability to earn your way to God, that you would ask Him to forgive you, trusting that in Jesus He will show you mercy by forgiving your sins. But as I said, 
for many of us here, we trusted in Jesus a long time ago. You know your sins are forgiven in Jesus. So the question then is, like, what's the point in taking so much time to remember what Jesus did for us? And for one, as we said, the work of Jesus that both the work of Jesus to both satisfy God's judgment and show mercy is kind of the central message of the whole Bible. But also, as we say, like remembering what God has done in the past is the key to being able to trust God and wait patiently on God in the hard times of life. And God has done nothing more glorious, nothing more worth remembering than what he did for us in Jesus. We'll come back to this point more at the end of the sermon. But remembering how much God loves you as he demonstrated it in Jesus, right? remembering God's mercy to you through Jesus, remembering that God takes the darkest moment in history, the death of his son, and uses it for good, remembering all those things is essential to facing our own challenges in life. And if we just say, like, oh yeah, I know what Jesus did, I'm forgiven, now let's move on to other things, we're not adequately preparing our hearts to face the challenges and tragedies that living in a fallen and broken world will inevitably put before us. Like we must remember what God has done in order to face the challenges of the future. And Habakkuk models the power of remembering what God has done for us. So after offering his plea that God would in justice remember mercy, he moves on to praise God for what he has done in the past. So now, obviously, like, Habakkuk doesn't have the story of Jesus to remember and praise God for. But there are still many mighty deeds that God has done for his people that Habakkuk is able to remember and to find hope for, hope for the future in. So verses 3 through 15 of the passage are all like a big poetic restatement of some of the great things that God has done for his people throughout history. The one thing Habakkuk remembered is how God worked to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt in the Exodus. Verse 3 says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. So, like, Teman and Mount Paran, right, they're the region of the Sinai Peninsula where the Israelites found themselves after they fled from Egypt in the Exodus. So Habakkuk, in saying that, it's like he's calling to mind how God people found themselves in a seemingly hopeless situation. That they were slaves to the mightiest nation in the known world, Egypt. Like they were outnumbered, they had no weapons, everything seemed hopeless and bleak. But then God showed up and he saved them. Right? Verse 5 says, Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. Right? Now despite the fact that the Israelites had no power of their own, God used plagues and pestilence against Egypt to eventually persuade Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go. God turned the Nile River to blood. He sent swarms of frogs and gnats and locusts. He caught disease for the Egyptians' livestock. 
He caused boils. He sent hail. He sent fire. He made darkness fall on the land. But still, Pharaoh won't let the Israelites go. So finally, God caused the firstborn son of all the Egyptians to die while passing over the houses and sparing the sons of anyone who trusted in him enough to put the blood of a slain lamb above their door. Like, finally, this mass death was enough to get Pharaoh to temporarily relent, and he let the Israelites go. But then Pharaoh changes his mind, and he starts to pursue the Israelites with horses and chariots in order to bring them back into slavery. But then God does this miracle, and he parts the seas that stood between the Israelites and freedom. But when the Egyptians followed them, then God caused those waves to come crashing back down on the horses and chariots of Egypt. Now again, like many of us know this story, but it's worth remembering. And in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 8, Habakkuk says, like, Did you rage against the sea? when you rode your horses and your chariot to victory. Right? Like Habakkuk asking a rhetorical question. Like he's saying, God, were you mad at the seas when they parted and let the Israelites through and then drowned the Egyptians? And the answer is, of course God not. Of course God wasn't mad because it wasn't a natural event. God made it happen. Right? God made the seas part and God brought the sea back together at his time for his purposes. Habakkuk's remembering that God will use whatever means he desires to save his people. So Habakkuk remembers the Exodus, and then he also, throughout, throughout this passage, remembers other times that God has done great things for his people. And all those memories give him confidence that God will once again act in the days ahead. And he expresses that confidence by saying, I will wait patiently the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Babylon's going to come. They're going to invade us. They're going to take us into exile. But I trust from remembering what you've done in the past, God, that you will one day bring calamity on them. And because I know you're a good and faithful God, I can wait patiently. By remembering God's work in the past, Habakkuk has confidence and God's ability to work in the future. And with that confidence, he made a pledge to God. We see that pledge in verses 17 and 18. I think these are some of the most like, poignant, powerful words in the Bible. These words come as like, the culmination of Habakkuk's dialogue with God, in which God convinced Habakkuk that he was going to justly judge Judah. And now, Habakkuk is finally convinced that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. He's like convinced that his own life is going to be miserable for a while. His own life may even end as a result of this invasion. Like being convinced of all of that, Habakkuk says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the field produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful 
in God my Savior. But just be clear and like feel the weight of what Habakkuk says here. The food sources in Judah at that time right, were figs, olives, crops you could grow, and animals you could raise and kill and eat for meat. Like, that's it. There's no grocery stores. There's no international supply chains. Like, if there's no figs, if there's no olives, if there's no crops, if there's no sheep, if there's no cattle, like, there is no food. None. And when there's no food, like, people are going to starve and people are going to die. And Habakkuk says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Not just, oh, like I'll keep my faith, I guess, even though I'm mad at God. Like, I will rejoice. I will be joyful. And I want to close this sermon by talking about how Habakkuk can be joyful in such midst. But before we get to that, like, on, I want to just look real quickly at like what it doesn't mean, what Habakkuk's not saying here. And in verse 16, right before he makes the pledge, he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness entered into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. So Habakkuk's Body trembles, his lips quiver, rottenness enters into his bones, his legs tremble. But here's the point. For Habakkuk, rejoicing in the Lord, being joyful in his Savior, is not some trite, flippant, pie-in-the-sky commitment to putting on a happy face. Habakkuk's pledge is not just to grin and bear it. He knows there are hard days ahead. Days of hunger and pain and misery. The day of Habakkuk's death may even come as a result of this invasion. He doesn't know. And just thinking about that, like make his body tremble. And he's not going to smile his way through the Babylonian invasion. But he will be joyful. He will rejoice. There's a difference. And the question is, like, how did Habakkuk get to the place where he can be joyful and rejoice even if there's no food and people are starving? Here's what I think we learn from this whole book that culminates here. Because I think it's so important for each of us to grasp and to really... like understanding the depths of our soul. Habakkuk stopped seeing God as a means to an end and realized that God himself was the ultimate source of joy. Habakkuk started out this book by complaining to God about things he didn't like, about the way God was running the world. At the start of this book, Habakkuk talked to God like God was a genie in a lamp and Habakkuk was Aladdin holding the lamp. At the start of the book, Habakkuk just wanted God to do what Habakkuk thinks is best. But that's not who God is. 
God's purpose is not to give us what we want. Habakkuk learns through these conversations with God in this book that God's purpose is to, as we saw last week, make his glory cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And then to lead us into true and everlasting joy as we behold that glory. But that only happens when God himself is enough for you. True joy. Joy that can rejoice in God independent of circumstance can only be found when Jesus stops being a means to an end and instead Jesus himself is enough. So the question is, is Jesus enough for you? Like Jesus by himself. Not the benefits we think we should get from knowing Jesus. But it's just knowing Jesus enough. I don't know what the future holds for any of us. Like, I don't know how COVID ultimately plays out. I don't know what happens in the election in November. Like, like, I'm a pretty optimistic person generally. Like, I don't worry about things that much, and I'm still not super worried. Right? But I could be wrong. Right? And if those things all work out fine, then like something else, any point, could come around that utterly disrupts our way of life. And if not us as a whole, then like certainly in the days ahead, individuals among us will face personal tragedy. Like, no, I don't know what's going to happen to us as a community. I don't know what can happen to us as a nation. I don't know what can happen to me personally. Like, I don't know. But here's what I do know. No matter what happens with COVID, no matter what happens at the polls in November, no matter what the future holds for me personally, like, here's what I know. I want to grow to be like Habakkuk and to be able to say, no matter what, no matter the circumstances, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Like, I'm not all the way there yet. I don't think any of us are all the way there yet. Right? But like, I want to grow to get there. Like, and the path to remembering, or to getting there, is remembering the great things that God has done for us in the past. And that starts, and especially involves, remembering what he has done for us in Jesus. Like, and letting that give us the confidence that he will bring about glorious things in the future. Let's pray. Father, we we praise you for your faithfulness to us that come what may, no matter what the future holds for us individually, no matter what the future holds for us as a nation, no matter what the future holds for us as a world, that you are faithful, that you have a good plan, that you will bring about your purposes. You've shown yourself mighty and great so many times in the past. I pray that we would remind ourselves of those things. We would, we would have confidence 
of the ways you will work in the future by remembering the way you have worked in the past. That even if our individual circumstances for our time are not pleasant, we go through trials, we go through difficulties, that you would teach us how to rejoice. You would teach us how to find joy in you, independent of circumstances. God, would you be the source of our joy? In Jesus' name, amen. So as we prepare to leave here, pray that you would go remembering all the things that God has done for you in the past and confident that he will work again in the future. You're dismissed.